Life can be a bit bewildering for kids around Christmas time. You just leave one department store where you've spoken to Santa and you're greeted at the front door of the next one with another Santa trying to thrust a balloon into your hand saying ho, ho, ho and looking a little worse for wear. It seems most Western countries and cultures have got him in some shape or form, whether he's the Dutch Sinterklaas, the Swiss St Niklaus or the Austrian Niklo. He's there to remind us that behind every cultural legend and myth there's some element of truth, a true story based on some event that conveyed special meaning to some group somewhere. In this edition, we'll take a journey to look into the face of the real St Nicholas. Breakthrough Generation. Our story begins around AD 270 along the northern shores of the Mediterranean Sea in a country called Lycia today a small part of Turkey. At the western edge of the town of Patara, right near the sea, was a fine house surrounded by rich rolling farmlands. It was the home of Aphelus and his wife Johan, a devout couple, who although comfortable in worldly goods, feel poor because after 30 years of marriage, they have no children. But then they believe in answer to prayer, a little boy is born. He is to them a miracle. They name him Nicholas meaning victorious. He seems to have a normal and happy childhood up to his ninth year, when, tragically, both of his doting parents die during a plague that sweeps through the land. The early accounts tell how he transfers the great love he had for his mum and dad to the poor and needy of the little town, and those who looked after him at the time didn't stop him from using his wealth to show his love in good deeds, such as giving away money, clothing and food but always in secret, and usually at night, so nobody knew who the benefactor was. Thus begins an attitude of practical generosity that will win him a name as one of the most endearing of the saints and give rise to the wealth of stories from many people affected by his generosity firsthand. One such legend tells us how we got our Christmas stocking. It seems that an elderly nobleman, a former friend of Nicholas' parents, who had three lovely daughters, had lost all his wealth. Each of his daughters had a suitor, somebody who wanted to marry them. But custom dictated that no girl could be taken in marriage unless she was provided with a suitable dowry by the family. So without telling their father, the girls decided to draw lots to see which one would offer herself for sale in the town auction block, meaning that she would become a prostitute. This would provide dowries for the other two. When the word of their plight reached Nicholas, it seems he waited only for the cover of night before proceeding to their home, where he lowered three small bags of gold through the open window of the eldest girl's room. Whether or not it actually fell into a stocking hanging there to dry, as some of the tales tell it, it's not known. But in any case, the girls were soon married and the story of finding gold in stockings emerged. Eventually, St Nicholas was found to be the person behind the generous gift. So the girls were saved from a fate worse than death and the world was given the beginnings of the Christmas tradition of the stocking. To further Nicholas's religious training, his guardians arranged for him to visit the Holy Land, 
It was a very thrilling experience for the young man, still in his teens. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, he was absolutely fascinated by the sights and sounds he found there. Although his studies and his explorations of the holy city absorbed him, he gradually felt the call to return to his own homeland. And so he set out once again by sea. It was this return voyage that was to set the course of the rest of his life. They were not yet in sight of land when a great storm engulfed them, threatening to sink the ship. It was the young traveller who the sailors turned to for reassurance. And for two days and two nights, we're told, Nicholas prayed for their safety while the ship tossed and rolled in heavy seas, bordering on the edge of sinking. Then, finally, at dawn of the third day, they found themselves near the safe harbour of Myra, a city not far distant from where Nicholas had been born. When they landed to make repairs, Nicholas' first thought was to find a quiet church to thank God for their deliverance. But the timing was remarkable. It so happened that the bishop of the district had recently died, and high-ranking clergy were conferring in that same church to elect a successor. At the close of the previous day, while one candidate looked like the logical choice, there were still some uncertainties. It was agreed the decision should be held over until the next morning. Then a miraculous story commences that was to be written down in what was called the Golden Legend. The Archbishop heard that night a heavenly voice which said to him that at the hour of matins, him that should first come to the church and have the name Nicholas should be declared Bishop. So it was a surprised and bewildered Nicholas who was to be discovered in the church that day. When the bishops asked him to become the new spiritual leader, he at first refused strongly, but then had to acknowledge that probably it was the call of God. And so the world had, by this strange design, one of its youngest ever bishops, still in his late teens. Of course, as time went on, legends of the good bishop's deeds on land and sea became abundant. But the records also show a different side of his life. Twice he found himself in prison. The first occasion was when, in his early fifties, he resisted the widespread persecution of Christians being ordered by the Roman emperors. Although tortured for many months, perhaps as long as three years, his faith still held firm and he was eventually released to his joyful people when Constantine the Great became the first Christian ruler of the Roman Empire. The second imprisonment was brief and showed that he had a violent streak that he had to keep under control. In AD 325, Emperor Constantine had called all the bishops of the Christian world to resolve an important theological question. In the heated debate, Nicholas flew off the handle slapped a fellow bishop in the face who was being particularly thick and uncompromising. For his efforts, he was put in the cell overnight to cool off. The next morning, he returned to the council chamber and quietly and humbly argued his point until he won the day. After nearly 50 years as beloved spiritual leader of his people, Nicholas died on the 6th day of December in the year 343 A.D. The people called it his birthday in heaven and built an elaborate crypt for his remains in the church at Myra. 
partially restored, that church still stands in the town and is now known as Demre in Turkey. Within 200 years, this church bore the name, the Church of St. Nicholas. In the telling and the retelling of his miracles and legends, it's no wonder that the boy Nicholas of Patara had become the universally revered St. Nicholas of Mara. With his spreading fame, he was soon to become the patron of towns, cities, countries, ships, and many diverse groups, sailors, and quite naturally schoolboys and maidens, spinsters would appeal to St. Nicholas to get a husband for them. It was probably in France at the beginning of the 12th century that giving gifts in the name of St. Nicholas first commenced. Nuns of the convents in the central provinces began the practice of leaving gifts secretly at the houses of poor families and poor children on St. Nicholas Eve, being the 5th of December. These packages, perhaps even stockings, were filled with good things to eat, such as fruits and nuts and oranges from Spain, luxuries that wouldn't otherwise have found their way into the hungry homes. The custom spread rapidly into other parts of Europe and was soon being observed by rich and poor alike. In many communities on that same night, St Nicholas Eve, a street parade was led by a man representing the saint himself, mounted on a white horse, dressed in a red bishop's robe and the traditional mitred hat, and often carrying a shepherd's crook. Of course, the story of St. Nicholas eventually would be developed by various cultures. And so gradually, as the story passed through cultures and centuries, various groups of people modified his name and adapted him to their cultural symbols. Whether he's called Petit Noel, as they name him in France, or Dun Che Liao Rin, as the Chinese call him, or Papa Noel of the Latin Americans. There is something about the spirit of who he is that reminds us that somewhere, sometime, a spirit of generosity has entered our world. Yep, whether he rides a white horse, a reindeer, or is pulled along by six white boomers, a spirit of goodness has entered the world through the Christmas story that's inspired thousands through the centuries to leave their self-centeredness behind and has reminded us, at least once a year, that there is a better way. This is Malgarvin wishing you and yours every special blessing this Christmas.